Just raise your hand. Bruce has got two or three in his hands. He'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Oh, so does Mike. Mike has some too, so. Philippians chapter 4, looking at verses 14 through 23 this morning. Tell my study is a gift of giving. Now, I'm not saying that because we just got back from Hawaii and, and I'm needed, it's, it's, my in-laws paid for our trip, so I just, we happen to be here in this section, and so. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says this in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of, the, of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning, Lord, to be in your word and to know in our hearts that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. So give us open ears to receive all that you have for us today. We also pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to come to know you as our Lord and as our Savior, to be born again, would you especially touch their heart this morning, Lord, that they would see their need for you and turn to you this morning. We thank you for this time, this opportunity to gather. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I heard a story about a preacher who was exhorting his flock as he was coming to the end of his sermon. And as some preachers do, you know, he's, he's raising it to a crescendo. And the people, they were kind of getting excited as well. It's one of those congregations in the Deep South that would talk back to the preachers he would preach. Okay, we don't do that here, but anyway, no, I don't care. So he says to the people, church, we like that crippled man need to learn how to walk. Well, they said back in unison, let us walk, preacher, let us walk. Raising it to the next level, he said, and church, like Elijah up on Mount Carmel, we need to learn how to run. The church shouted back, let us run, pastor, let us run. Then he said, we need to mount up like wings of eagles and we need to fly. And they they yelled back, let us fly, pastor, let us fly. Then he said, now if the church is going to fly, it's going to take money. And there's a moment of silence. Then the people said, let us walk, pastor. Let us walk. Because <laughs> whenever you bring up the subject of money, of giving, it makes certain people very uncomfortable. As you know, we don't usually talk about the, the, the money at the church, and if you've, been, if you've been coming to the church for quite a while, you, you notice how we don't talk about it here, how, about giving, unless we come across it in Scripture, as we go verse by verse, 
book by book, chapter by chapter, we come across it, then we're going to cover it. And we just happen to be in that place this morning. As we finish up the book of Philippians, Paul is thanking the church because of their generosity, their giving. Now, it's worth noting that the topic of money is very, it's a very important topic that the Bible addresses many times. You might be surprised to know that half the parables that Jesus told dealt with money in some way, shape, or form. To give you an idea of how that compares to other topics of Scripture, there are about 500 verses on prayer, about 500 verses on faith, but there are more than 2,000 verses dealing with the topic of money. I'll say this, there's perhaps no clearer evidence of spiritual maturity than financial generosity. Let me say that again. There's perhaps no clearer evidence of spiritual maturity than financial generosity. So Martin Martin Luther, who said that there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the pocketbook, or the wallet, or the purse. You get the idea. Because that's often the last area that we turn over to God. Oh, Lord, I, I give you everything. I give you my life. But, but, oh, I don't know about my money. I don't know if I can trust you with, with my money. But, but if we're to be Christians, if we're to, to surrender our lives to the Lord, we need to turn that over to the Lord as well. Now, again, it can be very uncomfortable to talk about the topic of giving and money. Uh, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Now, maybe not wanting to talk about it could be an indication that there's an area in your life that you need to focus on, that you need to, to, to work out. I heard about a, a wealthy man who was approached by a group of people. They, they wanted money for something. They laid out their appeal to, the, to them and, and asked them for $50,000. And he said to them, well, I can see why you would think I could give you $50,000. I am a successful businessman. I have all the marks of affluence, but there are a few things about me that you just don't know. They said, well, what is that? Well, he said, did you know that my mother is living in an expensive nursing home? Well, we didn't know that. Did you know that my brother recently died and left a family of five with almost no insurance? No, we didn't know that either. Did you know that my daughter married a young man who is deeply religious and they're out doing social work together right now? Did you know that? No, we didn't know that either. Then he says, if I didn't give them a penny, why should I give you anything? (laughs) That's just not right. That's why we need to talk to the subject, talk about the subject of giving. We need to talk about it because God wants this area in our lives to be in balance. Now, the, the title of my study is The Gift of Giving because when we give as the Lord calls us to do, it's going to do four things in our lives. And these are our four points if you're taking notes this morning. When we give, it, number one, it blesses others. Number two, it credits our account. Number three, it pleases God. And number four, it meets needs. Number one, when we give, it blesses others. Look at verse 14. Paul writes, Nevertheless, you, you have done well that you shared in my distress. In other words, Paul would say, you giving to the ministry that I'm involved in, it really, really blessed me. Now, Paul began, begins with the word nevertheless, and, but we're really picking up in the middle of a thought from the middle of this chapter. Paul says nevertheless, because as we looked at three weeks ago, Paul had just finished saying, I'm content. I'm content. I found that Christ in Christ I can abound. Yes, I have needs, but I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he says, it's good. Nevertheless, it's a blessing that you have richly supported the ministry that I'm undertaking here in Rome and elsewhere. 
Now, before we get too far into our study this morning, I want to say it's good. It's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to this church that you, the congregation, have richly supported this ministry here at Calvary over the years. We could not have done the many things and, and reached as many people without the support from this church. And God is doing great things through your support. But with that said, we need to understand some things about money. Money is not good and money is not evil. It just is. It, it, it's a tool. Good people can use it for good things and bad people can use it for bad things. Money is not evil, again, in and of itself. It's kind of frustrating to me when when someone will misquote what Paul said to Timothy. And they'll say, well, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's a very different meaning. Now you look through the pages of Scripture, there are those that God has blessed financially. He has prospered. And I believe He did that because He knew that He could trust them with those finances. Abraham was one man. He had flocks. He had herds. In fact, when he traveled, he had a staff of 318 paid, trained servants who also happened to be his militia when he got in trouble. Then you look at Job. I mean, Job was the wealthiest man in the East. Job chapter 1, you know his story. He lost it all, but in the end, God even gave him more. The end of the book of Job reads, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Then look at Joseph. Sold as a slave uh, into Egypt, but became the second ruler of the world. And since Egypt was the, the world governing empire, he was the second richest man on earth. God put him in that position. And then you read Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4 that says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So money in and of itself is not inherently evil. It's one's attitude, it's one's use of it, and it's one's motivation behind it is at the heart of the matter. How one handles money is a barometer of spiritual growth. I like what one person said about money. Money is like manure. Hoard it up, stack it up, it stinks. Spread it out, and it helps things to grow. I think that could be said of people that that it stinks because all they do is amass more and more and more and never spread it out to the greatest good. See, in in giving, in the gift of giving, you're going to be blessed when you give. Whenever we give to someone in need, we bless them, and we are blessed in the process. Let me say this, everyone that the Bible, that the, that the, the, the Bible in the Bible that they gave to, to do the work of the Lord, be it in the Old or the New Testament, the Lord commended them for it. The Lord said something about it. Now that shouldn't be our motivation, but I think of David, he was commended for his support of building the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18. It says there that whereas in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart, he said. And the little book of 3 John, John is writing to his buddy Gaius, a church leader, and John says this in verse 5, Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. Good for you. You're giving. You're doing what, what God has called you to do. Even Paul you know, quoted the words of Jesus when he said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the bottom line. Very few things can get done, even organizationally in ministry, without the open handed generosity of God's people. That's just how it works. And it's a beautiful thing to see one who is not tight-fisted but open-handed because they're open-hearted. 
Paul is saying here, man, he seized our heart. It was good that they shared in, in, in his financial troubles. Man, it's always a blessing to, to people to, to be able to help them in time of need and, and, and we can help them, you know, in their time of need to lift that burden from them. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 tells us this. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 10, 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. One more, Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. When God has given you the ability, the power to help someone, we should do it to share. We should take that opportunity as it avails us. I mean, let me ask you this. When do you feel the best about yourself in life? When you're doing good for someone else, obviously. When you're blessing someone else. When you're helping another person in need. When you give to someone in need. We're most blessed when we bless others. And this brings us to point number two. Number one, we give uh, because it blesses others. Number two, it credits, when we give, it credits our account. Look at verse 14 again. Paul says, You have done well that you have shared in my distress. Notice that word shared in verse 14. It's also in verse 15. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now this word shared, you've heard before, it's a word sagkoinia. It comes from the word koinia. It means fellowship. Sagkoinia in English means to share. It means to partner together with other people. It's a blessing to give because why? It's a partnership. Paul is saying, I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach and I'm going to minister to places you cannot come with me, but because you shared with me you're now partnering with me in my ministry. Listen, not every one of us are called into the mission field. And man, I applaud those that say, hey man, the Lord has called me to sell everything I have and move to a foreign country and share the gospel. Way to go. That's awesome. But not everybody is called to go. Some of us are called to send. Now whether you go or whether you send, you're both partners in ministry. I mentioned guys before in, from Third John. John went on to say in verse 8, so we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. See, financial support is just as important as a spiritual preaching. That's a, a partnership. Paul puts it this way in verses 16 and 17. He says, For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So even while Paul was in Thessalonica preaching and teaching, the church in Philippi was giving him support. And then he says it wasn't a one-time thing. He goes on in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Okay, there's a key here. What we're looking at here is how God keeps his books in heaven. His ledger, so to speak. How God views giving of money. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That, that term is a financial talk, basically speaking of accruing interest on the credit side of an accounting ledger. Paul is saying, I'm the preacher. I'm the evangelist. I will go where no man has gone before and you are supplying what I need to do the job by supporting me. But know this, when people get saved through my ministry, when people get taught and equipped through my ministry, God is going to tally that to your account. So that's where that partnership comes in. Now, I as your pastor 
you know, want the most added to all of our accounts. So when you give to your tithes and your offerings to the church, we support Harvest Crusades. That's one of the ministries we support. So when someone gets saved through Harvest Crusades, that goes to your account. Let me tell you, thousands of people have been saved through the Harvest Crusades. That's on your account. We also support the Victory Mission. So when someone is given a place to sleep at night, some food in their stomachs, an opportunity to work, God sees that and adds that to your account as if you personally have ministered to them in this way. We post studies online. My, our Bible studies, they go online. We've got to pay for that internet access. You know what? What someone comes to faith from listening to that study, it credits your account. We support the Pregnancy Care Center. We support uh, Chapel Missions India, the Gathering Tree, the Go Team. We set a budget for these ministries per year. And if you're a giver, the fruit from these ministries gets added to your ledger. Again, you know, whether you go or you stand, we're both partners in ministry. And both are important. One does the preaching, one does the providing, but both get the reward in heaven. Now here's what this means. When you get to heaven, I believe you're going to be greeted by people that you have never met. Strangers are going to come up to you and say, I just want to thank you because of your support for, for, for the work in India. I was saved and, and now I'm in heaven for all eternity. Whoa, I didn't know. They're going to come up to you and say, man, because of your faithfulness and giving, I got saved through the Harvest Crusades or through listening to your sermon your pastor taught on the Internet. Man, it's, it's awesome. Why? Because it's been added to your account. Now, with that said, there needs to be a level of caution. You see, it means I can use my money as an investment, which means whenever a ministry or a missionary is asking for money, asking for support, Man, I want to make sure before I give anything to anyone that there's going to be fruit, real fruit, legitimate fruit. As a church, we check out thoroughly places to support and give, and so should you. And let me tell you, correct doctrine is a part of real fruit. Souls being saved are part of real fruit. See, I want to make sure that I'm not just throwing money away because I was touched emotionally. Now I feel guilt or, or pressured into to, because some preacher says, well, if you don't give to our ministry right now, we're going to have to shut down, you know. Listen, I strongly believe where God guides, God provides. And if God's not guiding, then why are you trying to keep something open that God wants shut? And, and so uh, that brings us to our third point this morning. When we give, it blesses others. Number two, it credits our accounts. Number three, it blesses God. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus was the one that God used to bring this special offering to Paul from these believers in Philippi. And it deep, deep, deeply touched the apostle because it was a sacrificial gift. These believers, they weren't wealthy. I mean, they were giving sacrificially. They were giving cheerfully. Even though there were others that were more able, they weren't giving at all. And that touched Paul's heart. See, there, there were others that could have helped him, but they didn't. But, but these people did. And, and Paul says, God bless you guys for it. And I want you to know, he says, that your gift was a sweet-smelling aroma to God when you gave in this way. See, Paul is, is taking it right back to the temple. Let me tell you, 2,000 years ago, if you are walking around Jerusalem and you were walking there near the temple, uh, you'd not only hear things, but you would smell things as well. I mean, could you imagine the smell of that roasted meat, especially if you were hungry? That would be like an outside barbecue. There was one day on the ship, and, and, and it was like that. We went out on the ship and the cruise, and, and they had this whole barbecue thing going. And, and you know, you, you're always eating on the cruise. But, man, when I smelled that, I was like, 
I gotta eat some more. I mean, oh man, this smells so good, you know. That's what it was like. For them, they, I mean, they had roasted lamb, and they could smell that, you know, because that's what they were sacrificing on the altar. But the idea here behind the sweet-smelling aroma is that any time there was a sacrifice being made in the temple with a pure heart, and the smell would, would rise up, it was as if God was going, oh, that smells great. Oh, love it, love it. An acceptable sacrifice. Music to my ears, a sweet-smelling aroma. See, it's well-pleasing to God. And folks, that's the highest motivation for our giving that we should have. Because it pleases the Lord. Not because some organization needs it. Because God is worth it. By the way, it's called a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice. Giving is a sacrifice. It's sacrificial. It's meant to be. It's like I'm going to give 10% of everything I make to the Lord's work. That's a sacrifice. But let me give you a different perspective on this. A mature believer who says, I'm going to give 10% to the Lord's work is actually saying, wow, God lets me keep 90%. A man once said, all money is tainted. It taints yours and it taint mine. That's very true. I, I mean, the Bible says it belongs to God. And this is particularly true for those of us who are believers. After all, what does it mean to say that Jesus is our Lord? Uh, I mean, we give Him authority over everything that we possess. They're no longer ours, they're His. So Paul said to the Philippians, the things sent from you were a sweet-smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, it pleases the Lord when we give. Not because God needs our money, but because God wants our hearts. He said, again, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. But keep your place here in the Philippians and turn with me over for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're on the subject of giving. We only hit it when we, you know, hit it in our verse by verse study. So we're going to, we're going to milk it for all we got. So a few more subjects on giving. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 through 3 gives us a little more insight. Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 1 of chapter 16. As I'm hearing you still turn pages. Got it. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. says verse 2, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, Storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Now there are some important words here, because Paul is giving us some insight into how believers are to give. Specific words to to believers in Corinth. But these verses, and the ones we're reading in, in Philippians, they help us understand what the Bible teaches about giving. Let's look at a few of the principles found in this passage here, then we'll go back to Philippians. Number one, Giving is a universal practice. Giving is a universal practice. Paul said in verse 1, As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. In other words, it wasn't something just the Corinthians were to do. The churches in Galatia, the churches in Thessalonica, the churches in Philippi, they were to be giving. So we don't say, well, only the wealthy should give, or only certain types of people should give. According to what scriptures are teaching, every church should give, and as a result, every individual Christian should give. 
Principle number two, giving should be regular. Paul says here in verse two, it should be on the first day of the week. Now, by the way, this is one of the first indications that the early church was meeting on the first day of the week, which was Sunday for worship, prayer, Bible study, and forgiving. Sunday was the first day of the week. It's our last day of the week, but they did meet on Sunday, the day that the Lord rose from the dead. But Paul is saying here, we should give on a regular basis. Now, I know some people, they get paid, you know, bi-weekly or monthly or, you know, and it should, but it should, the point is it should be done regularly. I know there's Calvary chapels, and maybe you visited a few of them, where they don't even take an offering at all. They just put a, a box in the back, you know, and, and the sanctuary, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and you can do that. But I see really giving as an act of worship to the Lord. A sweet, again, a sweet-smelling aroma, well-pleasing to God. So we allow a time to worship the Lord through our giving because it's an act of worship. But again, the point is giving should be regular. Thirdly, Paul says giving is personal. He says that each one of you lay something aside. So he's not leaving anybody out. And I think that everyone should understand this. Even little children should be taught the principles of giving to the Lord. Now, it might just be a few pennies, a few nickels or quarters, whatever, but the idea of giving to the Lord. Let me say this. You do it because hopefully you've been so blessed by God that you want to do it out of love and appreciation for all that He's done for us. Not out of pressure, not out of constraint, but out of the love and worship. Let me tell you this. I can't stand when you, you hear these guys with these long, drawn-out appeals for money. Heard a story about Mark Twain who had some money he was planning to, to give in the offering, but the preacher had gone, had this long, drawn out an appeal for money that not, not only did Twain not give his money he brought, but he took something out of the offering as it came by him. <laughs> not that you should do that, but, but, but I understand. You know, it's like some of these TV preachers that you see, you know, oh, the Lord is speaking to my heart. There are 40 people here with a thousand dollars each. Hallelujah. Give, 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 give. Wait a minute. I don't think so. Or they represent God as being broke. God needs your gift. God needs your money. God needs nothing, okay? He's the creator of the universe. He owns cattle in a thousand hills. We trust and rest on Him and upon His resources. Now, with that said, we shouldn't be foolish in the thinking that it doesn't require any money to run ministry. Yet, on the other hand, we don't want to use tactics that will put people under pressure to give. Because then they give with the wrong motives and are even upset. Giving shouldn't be some horrible ordeal. It it shouldn't be torturous. And it shouldn't be done out of guilt or because you feel pressure. It should be gladly, joyfully, and happily back to the Lord because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. If I turn a few pages over from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verses 6 through 8, there's a phrase that Paul uses here that I want to point out in these few verses. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I love the phrase, cheerful giver. It can be translated there in verse 9, hilariously. I am so happy to do this, to have this opportunity to give unto the Lord. It's like the story I read about a mom that wanted to teach her daughter, young daughter, a lesson on giving to the Lord. And she, she gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar bill for church. Put whichever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself, she told the girl. When they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. 
Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar just before the collection. The man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. So I did. What God is saying here is that as you give to me with the right motive, as you give joyfully and gladly and cheerfully, I will bless you and bless you and I'll give you more than what you need. Enough for your own need and even more to give out. It's a blessing to give. It pleases God. It's add to our account. Uh, Some people say, well, I I can't afford to give. I I can't afford to tithe. Well, I can't afford not to give. Because I believe it's a principle God has in His Word and and, and I believe, as He promises, if I will give to Him, I'm not going to have need myself. This brings us to our our final point back in Philippians chapter 4. When we give, it blesses others, number one. Number two, it credits our account. Number three, it pleases God. Number four, it meets needs. When we understand the gift of giving, needs will be met. Look now at verse four, or Philippians 4, verse 19. A great verse, very, very comforting to, to a lot of people since the first day it was written. Paul writes in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Great verse. A great verse that's been sadly misquoted over many, many years as well. You know, they'll use it well. They'll say, well, God is bound and He must give exactly what I need whenever I need it. Notice that it does not say, my God should supply all of our greeds, but our needs. doesn't even say our wants or our desires. There are some people that falsely teach that all you have to do is claim it. You know, whatever it is, if you really want it, just claim it in faith and it's yours. I call them the name and claim it, blab it and grab it group. You know, I mean... And that's not what this verse is saying. See, every text in Scripture has a context. And if you isolate the text from the context, then it becomes a pretext. And a pretext, you can make it to say whatever you want it to say. We need to look at this verse in context. Verse 14, Paul says, nevertheless, look back at verse 14, Paul says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Underline the word you in both that that verse. Who's the you? It's the Philippian Christians who generously supported him. Verse 15, he says, Now you, Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, verse 19, he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, Paul didn't write this promise to the Thessalonians. He didn't write it to the Colossians. He wrote it to the Philippians. Yes, it's a principle for us today, but the principle has to be in context. What Paul is saying is, you have been so generous to support the work of the Lord through me, God's going to be just as generous to you in your response to your generosity. See, it's that kind of giving that's going to be rewarded. That kind of giving is going to have your needs met. Look again at verse 18. Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Remember that word full means to, to fill to the brim. Then in verse 19, Paul says, My God shall supply. That word supply is the same Greek word as the word full. I am full, Paul says, and my God shall make you full. You've been so generous to me, God's going to be generous to you. In other words, when you give out, your needs are going to be met. Same principle Jesus spoke of in Luke 6, 38. When he said, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Same principle. Here's the point. You can never outgive God. 
you can never outgive God. And you know that there's, there, there's, there's one area in the Bible that you're actually allowed and encouraged to test God, and that's on the subject of giving. No other time. I mean, you know, you never test God in any other area. You never question God. But when it comes to giving, God invites the test. We see it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. You don't need to turn there, but Israel had not been tithing. They've been hoarding. And so the Lord says to them in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. But now listen to the promise that he gives. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now on this. He's saying, test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough for you to receive it. Do you see what God is promising here? He's saying, if you remember me in your giving, in your tithing, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Test me. See if it's true. I dare you. I mean, see if I won't pour out a blessing that you can't contain. The only time God says, put me to the test, it's dealing with our finances. Finally, as we close, I want to give you three things concerning giving to apply to our lives, and my, you know, to our lives, really, and then we'll close. Number one, giving is good, so be generous. It's good to give, so be generous. It's a Christian grace. It's a fruit of being in a relationship with Jesus, so be generous. Be open-handed, not tight-fisted. Heard of a story of a rich guy who came to his pastor and said, when I had $50,000, I was happy. Now that I, ha- now that I have $500,000, I'm unhappy. The pastor said, simple solution, give away $450,000. The rich guy said, pastor, you don't understand. Having money is like grabbing an electrical wire. The more the juice, the tighter the grip. So we have to learn to release what isn't ours anyway. We're just stewards over it. And let me say, it's better to do it before you die because then you can control where it goes. I love the saying, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Second principle, your money can be fruitful, so be cautious. Your money can be fruitful, so be cautious. Don't just give. I, I touched this already. Don't just give because you know, you know, your heartstrings are touched and your emotions are high. Make sure the ministry you're giving to is producing fruit. Make sure the cause you're giving to is going to help them. You know, we get people come to the church all the time and they, they, they share this before. They give you the story. Oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then the more questions you ask them, you find out, okay, they're not telling the truth here. They're lying and they just want to use this money for, for drugs or alcohol or whatever. So be very careful in, in our giving. You know, your money can be fruitful, so be cautious. You know, again, don't just give it because man, they touched your heart. Look to see there's fruit in that ministry, in that organization. You know, examine the fruit. Check what's under the tree. You know, where are things being allocated? Who's being saved and so on? Number three, your needs will be supplied, so be joyous. Your needs are going to be supplied, so be joyous. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all these other things will be added to you. He'll take care of everything you need, so be joyous. And you may say, well, I can't be joyous, Pastor, because you don't know. My needs are so much greater than everybody else's needs. Look at the rest of verse 19. Last part of the paragraph. Paul says, And my God shall supply all you need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the supply that God's working with. He's unlimited. It's not like God is saying, Man, I wish I could help you on this need. If you come back tomorrow, I just ran out. I, I was helping over here in India and the guy, he's got, he got the last of it. That's not the way it works. 
It's according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's got unlimited resources. So ask. But ask wisely. I love Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, which is a great prayer to pray. It says this. Uh, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may still and thus insult God's holy name. He's saying, Lord, don't give me so much that I might forget about you. Don't give me so little that I, that, that I might feel you've forgotten about me. Lord, give me just what you prescribe for me. Give me as much as you think is right. I'll leave it in your hands. And I love that verse. Because he's saying, he's not saying, Lord, Lord, make me rich. He's saying, Lord, I just want your will for my life. However much you think I need, I'm good with that. So imagine what would happen if you gave a child everything that they wanted. Oh, I just love my child so much. I'm going to give them everything they want. Well, this child doesn't want dinner tonight. He, he wants a hot foot Sunday instead. Oh, okay, whatever he wants. This child wants lots of toys. In fact, they want everything in Toys R Us. So you give him everything because, oh, you love this child. Whatever he wants, I'll just say, I love them. You know what will happen? You'll raise a spoiled, undisciplined, hyperactive brat is what will happen. And we see the foolishness in that. Children need to be taught responsibility. They need to be taught to work for things. They need to be taught to save. And if you don't, you'll regret it because they'll never leave your house. But, but, but it's a simple principle we know as parents. So let's apply that now to God as our parent. He knows what you need and He knows what you don't need. I like what Ruth Graham once said. God has not always answered my prayers. If He had, I would have married the wrong man several times. God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So as we close, it's a gift of giving that God has given to all of us. So don't be afraid to give. And I don't just mean our finances. I, I, I mean giving in general. So you can go through life saying, I need this and what about my needs? Or you can say, God has blessed me so much. He's provided for me. I, I, I had a meal this morning. I have clothes on my back, a roof over my head. What can I do for someone else? Start thinking uh, of others instead of yourself and one day you'll wake up and find out that you have been blessed beyond measure. Blessed because we give, it blesses others. When we give, it credits our accounts. When we give, it pleases God. And when we give, it meets needs. I want to close with this little story. It's called, If Money Could Talk. And it goes like this. You hold me in your hand and call me yours. However, could I not as well call you mine? See how easily I rule you to gain me, you sacrifice all but your life. I am invaluable as rain, essential as water. Without me, men and institutions would die. Yet I am not the giver of life. I am futile without the stamp of your desire. I go nowhere unless you send me. I keep strange company. For me, men mock, love, and scorn character. Yet I am appointed for the service of missionaries to give education and food to the poor. My power is terrific. Handle me carefully and wisely, lest you become my servant rather than I become yours. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is a tool. That's all it is. That's all it will be. One final thing. If God doesn't have your heart, He doesn't want your money. Let me say that again. If God, God doesn't have your heart, He doesn't want your money. He's not broke. The, the only reason a Christian gives is because it's an expression out of the abundance of the heart. If God has the heart, God has the man. God has the woman. God has all of that person. But it begins with the heart. It begins with the person giving their hearts to the Lord. 
If you're not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, I encourage you to do so. Because if you've just been coming and say, well, I'll go to church, throw a few bucks in the offering and call it good. I say, keep your money. God wants you. God wants you. Wants your heart. See, God knows. God, God created us. He created us in His image to be giving, loving creatures. That's why He sent us the example of what it means to give things away. After all, God is the most powerful being in the entire universe. He owns everything. And yet He loved us so much that He, what? he gave. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, as we close, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to let you know that, that God will continue to knock on your heart. He wants your heart. And as you come in, He's going to wait until you surrender your life to Him. The question is, how long are you going to wait before you turn to Him? How long before you decide, this is it, I need to give my life to the Lord today? I encourage you today, surrender your heart and see what the Lord has in store for you. Finally, let's look at these last two verses in verse 20. We'll close, as Paul does. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Philippians, Lord. It ministered to us in so many ways. We thank you for just the promise of your provision. We thank you for the promise of, of, uh, Lord, just contentment, Lord, as we just look to you, Lord. We thank you for the, the power that you give us to run the race that you've set before us. We thank you, Lord, for the principles that we've learned. And now help us, Lord, to, to put those principles into practice. Not only in the aspect of our finances, Lord, but in every aspect of our lives and in, in, in our giving, Lord. And finally, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, Lord, to surrender their hearts to you, I pray that they would not leave here without uh, making that commitment to you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand